Hi, I'm Josh McDonald. And I'm Randy McCurry, and we are Hand Therapy Academy. We are going to talk a little bit about tenolysis. We haven't done a lot of content on that in the past. It's kind of a, a difficult topic. Different surgeons want different things. Different therapists have different plans. But let's talk a little bit about when a patient would need it, what to do when they have it, like all these other options. So, Miranda, how do you know if a patient is a good candidate for tenolysis? Yeah, so usually I'm looking at comparing their active range of motion to their passive range of motion. So if they don't have good passive range of motion, I'm like they're probably not going to be a good candidate for a tenolysis because even if you release a tendon, there's probably a capsular or joint problem. So I'm looking at passive range of motion. I'm looking at active range of motion. And if there's a big discrepancy between those two, then I think that's probably a pretty good candidate for a tenolysis. And then I'm also thinking about tissue healing. Um, has the patient stopped making gains? Are they starting to plateau? What's their overall health? And then what's the goal of the patient? If the patient is fine with how their finger is, then obviously I'm not going to promote something that... Um, they may not need or want. Yeah, and and those expectations of outcomes are important to establish with a patient. And a lot of times the doctors will go in and chat with them and say like, you know, at a follow-up visit at the four months because they won't consider it before then, but have a conversation. It's like, oh, I can get your finger more range of motion. Just got to do the surgery. But they don't explain like, you're going to have to sign on for a lot more therapy for another 12 plus weeks. And you're going to have to be super consistent. You need to come in more often at the front end of it. Were they a good healer in the beginning? Like if you've got a patient who's diabetic and wounds didn't close great, and like we're just opening ourselves up literally for more of this. Like, yeah, you got to make sure they're a good candidate scheduling to come in and wound healing and range of motion and expectations. And then lastly, insurance, right? Like, yeah. Do they have enough therapy visits left? I think sometimes the surgeon's like, yeah, we'll do that. That's no problem. But maybe they only have three therapy visits left and you're like, that's not going to be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've had more than one patient where we had to back off on the therapy leading up to that so we could save some visits on the back end because they kind of wanted to do that. Um, and then patient expectations. If I've got a patient who's got, let's say, 90% total arc of motion, range of motion actively, and they just want that last little bit, I have a conversation with them about risk and reward and, and the return on that investment of saying like, listen, you're going to go in for the surgery. That new scar might not be as good and mobile as your old scar. And if you're at 90%, can you do everything you need to? I'm not going to talk you out of it, but realize you could get worse out of this, not necessarily better. Yeah. And then what are the risks, right? Like when they go in and they do the tenolysis, at least with the flexor tenolysis, they're cutting scar away from the tendon, right? And when they're cutting that scar away, you're cutting the vinculum, which is the blood supply to the tendon. So they're always at an increased risk of re-rupturing because the tendon doesn't have good blood supply, especially the few days after surgery. Yeah, so there's lots and lots of risks to consider. It can be a great procedure and outcome for some. Um, I tell patients you could get better, you could get worse if there's a rupture or more scar tissue, or you could stay the same. If they've lost lots of function and can't do anything, better upside. If they're doing everything independently and they just want that last... I don't know, 15 degrees of terminal extension on the DIP, you know, do you really need that? Because that's not necessarily a bad outcome overall, considering whatever the injury was. So setting realistic expectations. Yeah, that's for sure. And then telling them what therapy is involved. It's very bloody. It's messy, right? It's letting them know. And then I always, always tell them before surgery, like, 
after surgery, you're going to look great. There's going to be like those three days where it's moving so well. And then we know it's like the collagen starts to form and it starts to scar in. Then you're going to start having a scar. So it's going to get better, worse, and then better again. Yeah. So I always tell them that before they go in so they know that's day five and it's looking worse. That's really like pull up your bootstraps and make sure you're doing all your exercises. So let's talk a little bit about treatment. Um, when do you see them frequency duration? And then what are you doing during those early visits? Yeah. So most of the surgeons I work with will send the day of or the day after. Um, and so, and if it's on a weekend, then a lot of times the surgeons, I think you and I work with expect us to be there on Saturday and Sunday with these patients. So that might be a discussion you have with your surgeon, like, hey, I don't know if anybody's going to be around that weekend. You know, we need to make sure we're planning this at a time that works for the patient, works for the surgeon, and works for the therapist, because we're a team, right? So if someone has a patient plan, that's not going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And I've had patients that, I, and I've told them, I said, make sure I know their surgery days are Tuesdays and Fridays. Don't let them schedule for a Friday. And they come back and say, surgery scheduler said Friday was the only option. I'm like, mm, they're not, that doesn't work. That's, that's, unless you've got staff that are willing to show up on the weekend to stretch that patient, because early on, we work under a model of two weeks, five times a week, two weeks at three times a week, and then tapering to twice a week, assuming things are on path at that point. So, it's pretty intense at the front end. And if they come out of that surgery on Friday afternoon and don't get any mobility, wound care, or or care of any kind until Monday midday or morning, you've lost 48 to 72 hours of progress time. Right. Yeah. 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 So, and yeah, that's what I'm saying. Most of the surgeons expect you to be there on the weekend. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, um, I joke with them like, well, well, we'll have your surgeon join us here. So he can, he can talk about that on Saturday morning. We'll have, see if he wants to join us here for therapy. Right. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So what are some of the, um, activities and things, what's your treatment plan in the first, let's say week or two, what are some of the high points of what you're focused on? Um, a lot of it is minimizing swelling, trying to minimize the extra bleeding because we know if they swell and they get bloody, they're probably going to have more scar forming. So a lot of it is very gentle, easy stuff. It's, um, but of course, doing joint blocking, so we're isolating FTP, FDS. I'm just talking for flexor, yeah, separate for center, but joint blocking and then making sure they're doing tendon gliding and then maybe some gentle stretching, but that's pretty much it we just do that over and over and it's kind of boring it's the same thing and then wound care of course yeah yeah honestly i feel like the majority of the first maybe weeks worth of sessions is wound care Uh, you got to get the puppy pad out you got to have all your wound care stuff set up because they're going to come in and they're going to be kind of a mess and so you're getting them out of their previous wound dressing assessing the situation doing some manual and hands-on stuff but i'm not giving them putty and towel walking and all of that stuff. I might have them do some light towel with the puppy pad or something, but they're they're not in a state where they're ready to do much activities and they're going to make a hot mess out of everything. So the sessions are kind of boring, but they're super necessary. Yeah. And Josh, for our people that don't know, a puppy pad is a sterile drape. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's... Like a puppy pad. <laughs> <laughs> that's what we jokingly and lovingly call puppy pads in our clinic is the sterile drape. Yes. Yeah, sterile drape for sure. And then they're, they are going to bleed, right? So the patient's going to have bleeding, but we want to and tell them that's normal to have bleeding, but we don't want to cause excessive bleeding. 
Yeah, yeah. And and that should be getting better over the course of the first week's visits. Certainly by the time you get to the second week's visits after the first weekend, you're helping to manage some of that and they're getting way less of that ongoing bleeding. If that wound is not closing, that's a whole other concern of delayed healing and precautions you got to follow. And then one other quick tip, if you haven't seen a lot of tenolysis patients or post-op patients, know that there's like a post-operative warmth that comes with these patients, right? So not just tenolysis, but any surgery, if you're seeing them the next day, that area of their hand is probably going to be warm. And a lot of times when we think it's warm, it's an infection, but it's not. So they will have some warmth to it, but that doesn't mean it's infected. That's pretty normal for a post-op inflammatory reaction. Yeah. Another like similar tip for all post-op patients, but tenolysis especially, I want to make sure that post-op incision line is well healed before I'm taking stitches out. We shouldn't be taking stitches out before the 10 to 14 day mark, but if those stitches aren't blocking any movement, I'm going to leave them in as long as they're not getting scarred in and they're not blocking any movement. If I can take them out easily at day 15, 16, I want to make sure that wound is not going to reopen because that can be catastrophic. Then you're trying to butterfly dressing or, or steri-strip it back together again. So if you take those stitches out a day early, that can be catastrophic for things. So let those stitches stay in as long as you're not running into problems, removing them down the road with scarring and whatnot. Yeah. And then know your surgeon, right? Some want you to take them out and some would be so mad at you if you took them out, right? So you really got to know who you're working with and some will expect you to take them out and some won't. So that's worth a conversation out with the surgeon, as well as knowing the integrity of the tendon after the tenolysis. Because I have had a patient where the integrity wasn't good, it wasn't communicated well, and the patient ended up with a rupture. So making sure that usually... I feel like when we're getting these patients, the surgeon is calling us, and I always ask, how's the, the tendon integrity? And usually they'll, they'll tell you that anyways, but it's always good to ask. The more communication, the better. That way, if something does go wrong, it happens sometimes, and it's not necessarily anybody's fault, but you can say, hey, listen, we had this communication. We were open dialogue back and forth. I was doing what you asked or what you wanted, and maybe things just went poorly and the unforeseen happens. But the more you document that communication, the more you kind of cover yourself from any liability issues. And then another good question would be, what is the intraoperative range of motion? Like, did they wake up that patient and have a move? And how good was their range of motion during that time? Because if it wasn't that good. We're not going to get perfect, right? So Yeah, yeah. Helping set those expectations postoperative for the patient. Maybe the doctor can take a picture or something in surgery so they can see what that looks like. For sure. Yeah. All right. Lots of information. Um, there's always more that we could cover, but we're going to wrap up this one. And um, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us via email, uh, info at handtherapyacademy.com or find us on social media at handtherapyacademy.com.